As we begin our study again of what is a Reformed Church, let's uh, open with a word of prayer. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, as we open your word again, we pray that you would help us with it as we particularly talk today about your word and the doctrine of the word. Help us to understand the importance of that in the life of this church and in our lives as believers. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. And looking at verses 19 through the end of that chapter. Ephesians 2, 19. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. And so Paul is building upon the idea here that the Jews and Gentiles are joined together in Christ. But what are they built upon? And that's an important idea. What does he say? They are built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Christ himself being the cornerstone. So what do we take from this? since we are no, no longer have this whole Jew and Gentile sort of divide, and that we, uh, we also no longer have the apostles and the prophets. How are we to build our foundation upon these people that are no longer here? Well, we have their words. We have the Old Testament, the New Testament, which are both built upon the foundation of Christ, who is the cornerstone. The church, and this is important, the church is built from the Word. The Word establishes the church, not the other way around. The Roman Catholic Church, for years and still does, claims that the Word originated with the church, that the church has always been, and that the church adopted the Word, not the other way around. The church is the ultimate authority, and from its authority, it shows us the Word of God, and it shows us its traditions. That is the reason the Protestant Reformation occurred. Interesting that we're talking about this on St. Patrick's Day. Church's traditions and are all blended into the Word, and the church is the ultimate authority. What does the Protestant say? Not at all. The Word is the authority and on its foundation, the church is built. And so that's where we come, come to this point today, talking about Scripture as the final authority. This idea of sola scriptura. We've all heard sola scriptura, and we, we understand this doctrine as, as the Latin words for Christ, or not Christ, Scripture alone. Sometimes sola scriptura is called one of the watchwords of the Reformation. This watchword is a fancy way of just saying, core beliefs 
the Reformation. Uh, this idea of sola scriptura essentially states that scripture alone is our ultimate authority and nothing should be added to it. Well, where do we read that? That we shouldn't add anything to scripture. We find that in scripture itself. Turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 4. Before we read Deuteronomy chapter 4, I realize that I threw a lot out there. Is there. Are there any questions about this idea of, and we're going to be bearing this out today, but are there any questions about the idea of the church is built upon the word, not the word built upon the church? I think it's a, um, maybe good to clarify. I think you said that there was a lot going on there. That pre-Reformation, the church, the bishops up to the, all the way to the Pope, had control, really, over saying what was or wasn't going to be part of religious practice, what was, what was or wasn't the interpretation of Scripture. Mm-hmm. Good. And so, and they actually, and most of us know this stuff, but they... They didn't even want the, the Bible to be in the language of the people. So that the, the, the people were largely ignorant to this. It took an insider like Martin Luther who knew how to read all those languages mm-hmm. to say these people that I'm ministering to are ignorant of this. Mm-hmm. Good. But but we still, when we, we believe the church has, is important and has authority in lots of matters and things. and So... But the differences aren't subtle because it kind of comes down to let God be true and every man a liar, which is a scripture, mm-hmm. the words, rule, instead of the way that men can be influenced when they are given the authority of what is and isn't true or in the word or tradition that should be accepted, they mess it up. Mm-hmm. Right, and that's and that's important. This, you know, if the church has its own authority then the church has to claim that it's incorruptible, which is exactly what they do. And just read their history. You see it plain, that it's not. If the word says it's incorruptible, then it is true because they are God's words. God is not corruptible. And so it is self-attesting, which is this whole other thing. But it's the word says it's true. It is. It's true. And so the church is built upon that foundation, not the other way around. And we have to be careful. Because, again, we don't add to the word. Turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 4. First couple verses here. Deuteronomy is an interesting book because it's the, it's the second time that the law has been given to the people of God. They're getting ready to enter into the promised land, and this is what he says. He says, And now, O Israel, listen to the statutes and the rules that I am teaching you, and do them, that you may live and go in and take possession of the land that the Lord, the God of your fathers, is giving you. You shall not add to the word that I command you, nor take away from it, that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you. So we do what the Lord says. And as we even recited the the third commandment today, that we should not take the, the name of the Lord in vain. We don't add to the word because the word is his word. We don't add to his name. We don't add to anything. You find this similar idea in Deuteronomy chapter 12, that they are to follow the words of the Lord, that you don't add to them. 
Think of what Israel is getting ready to do as they go into the promised land. Who currently occupies the promised land? The Canaanites. And when we say Canaanites, there's this whole list of ites that you have to rattle off in order to get through all of them. Each of them, their own gods, their own culture, their own beliefs, their own paganism. None of them worship the one true God. And so what does God command the Israelites to do? Stamp them all out. Kill everything that has breath. Because we don't mix with that. We're not to take those things and add them to our things. Because my word is true. Their word is not. Do not add to my word. Because what is it going to be easy for Israel to do? And as we see them do. They're going to go into Canaan. They're going to start adding the distinctiveness of those cultures to their own. Very quickly in the book of Joshua, what happens? One of those nations tricks Israel and then, uh, well, we won't kill this one now. Uh, We're going to just kill the other ones. And we're not going to kill everything. We're going to kill most of it and keep some of it for ourselves. And I really like these idols that they have. So I'm going to keep those and hide them under blanket. And they start doing all these different things. And then you go into the book of Judges. And what happens in Judges? They try to take over the promised land. And instead they are taken over themselves. Over and over again. <clears throat> because they mix with these other cultures. God's word is added to. And well, we're reading it in Isaiah right now, right? We're seeing the results of that thing. I yeah, go ahead. If you're still at Deuteronomy 4... I want to elaborate to your point. Mm-hmm. Keep the statutes. Keep what I've given you. Look at verse 5. But surely I have taught you statutes and judgments just as the Lord my God commanded me that you should act according to them in the land which you go to possess. Therefore be careful to observe them. For this is your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the peoples who will hear all these statutes and say, Surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. For what great nation is there that has a God so near to it as the Lord our God is to us? For whatever reason we may call upon him. And what great nation is there that has such statutes and righteous judgments as are in all this law which I set before you this day? Only take heed to yourself and diligently keep yourself lest you forget the things your eyes have seen unless they depart from your heart all the days of your life and teach them to your children and grandchildren, especially concerning the day you stood before the Lord your God. It is the separator is not the power of our kings or our leaders. Moses was a stutterer. Joshua was whatever he was. They're all imperfect guys. They're all imperfect people. Yep. What is the thing that separates them? It's the word of God and their view of it. It's bigger than any man. We're sort of like that in America. We have a heritage sort of like that where, you know, we're like, hey, you're an awesome guy, Mr. Washington. We're going to make you the king. And he's like, what in the world are we doing? We've just figured out all these laws to, to govern us in a peaceful way and now you want to throw all that away and make me the king you know what I'm saying Yeah. and absolutely. now it's the thing that all the other countries right after that 
I mean, if you studied history of the 1800s, they're all looking at us and saying, how do they do it without some king, you know? Yeah, well, it's funny because the first people that came over here came over to escape that and to start a new peop- a new nation that had this purity to it, which is why they were called Puritans, and that, that didn't have the mixing. Well, they quickly realized that mixing just happens because we're people, and people uh, do bad things. Yeah, you can't get out of the nation of a nation or state. You can't. It isn't Zion. Right. We are. Right, exactly. So the church is where the word still reigns supreme, and we still have those views. Mm-hmm. And it was always like that. I guess that's what I'm illustrating for you. Yeah, absolutely. It was always that way. Always supposed to be that way. And even God leaders in God's church and stuff have corrupted that. Not just Roman Catholic, plenty of Right, oh yeah, I mean, well, and that's what I was going to say. Just look at the church. This should be a warning to us. This idea of Israel mixing with the cultures of everyone else. Well, what is the church doing? When I say the church, the, the church at large. They're allowing the culture to say, this is how you should do church. Because if you do church this way, then I'll come. But until you do church that way, I'm not going to come. And what does the church say? Okay, we'll do church that way then. I mean, that's what Israel That's what Israel did too. Hey, you shouldn't kill me because remember that time I helped? Yeah, we won't kill this whole nation that's going to come back and bite us in the butt over and over and over again. Yeah, we won't do that. Sorry, guys. We, we're just going to kill everybody. No, they didn't even do that. And so it's a slippery slope. And just look where the church is today in this country. What are they calling us now? Post-Christian nation. And we're, I mean, just look at Europe. It's, it's exactly what's going to happen. And, and I think it's important as we start talking about tradition versus scripture, not all traditions are bad. And so we have, you know, we have traditions in this church. We eat every other Sunday, for instance. It's not a bad thing to do that. But when it becomes the thing that we worship, when it becomes the thing that we idolize, then it's bad. The scripture tells us what to worship. That's it. Not traditions don't tell us what to do. And so we had to, and the culture definitely doesn't tell us what to do. Any thoughts, questions? Well, you know, people say to the church, if you, if you change and do this, we'll come. Well, they're lying. It's yeah. kind of like when, when, and I'm not a smoker, and I don't like it, but remember these two, everywhere you went, they would smoke, <coughs> and then people said, well, you know, if, if the bowling alley wasn't smoky, we'd go. Well, they didn't. Mm-hmm. And maybe they didn't think they would. I don't know. But it just reminds me of that same thing. People say, if you do this, we'll go. No, no they won't. No, because they ultimately it's about the Lord of the church that they hate. They don't they don't like they don't not like the church's practices, they hate the Lord of the church. And so what is the church doing? They're taking trying to take him out of it too. And uh just becoming a friendly place for people to gather. Which is, yeah. I mean, they might as well, yeah, which a lot of them do that. You know, it's, they, yeah. I mean, people want to be around other people, and that's, that's normal. It's who we are. We're social people. But rather than go to church, because church represents authority, we're going to go someplace else. Or we're going to go to a church that has no authority because they don't have the word. And any thought, I know this is a lot, um, but it really, uh, what I want us to see is that those things that happened in the 1500s, are the same things that are happening today, and they were happening 100 years ago, 200 years ago, 
It's always a battle the church has to fight. We're never going to like finally say, finally, the church is going to be based on the word and nothing else. Nope. Uh, that will happen when Christ comes back and takes his people home. Uh, that's when the church will be finally pure. And so we're, we always have to be reminded of this. We're never outside of this battle. Yeah. Sometimes this question of the Bible and its authority leads people because of their sin away from the church. Okay, so I'll give you an example. Well, you know, I don't go to, I believe in God and Jesus, but I don't go to church because all the churches are about money and all the churches are corrupt and all the churches are whatever. Smell bad. And, then, and so people say those kind of things that they they're beyond the church because of some reason in the Bible. And I know people like this. You probably do too. But you, they always have some reason that that church is no good. You know, it doesn't matter. Uh, they can come up with one. Well, one of the things the Word says is, "Do not forsake." The getting together and fellowship and everything with the saints. Mm-hmm. Do not neglect the worship of God. So we're not perfect people doing this the perfect way. And part of being a Christian is accepting that and loving God and loving people in spite of all of that. Right. And Good. we need, and if we're voicing that like you just explained it, mm-hmm. then we can tell other people that too. Like, yeah. This isn't the perfect church. Please don't go and invite people to church. Let me tell you something. Redeemer is the best church. They do everything right. They teach exactly right. The food always is perfect. The bathrooms are always clean. Whatever it is that somebody's looking for, right? we're going to fall short of that. Absolutely. That's yeah. not the church that we're <clears throat> celebrating our membership in. It's the true church of Christ that we are in. This is just kind of the weekly meeting until we are all together there. And the reason for that is because we take it back to the Word. We we don't rely on ourselves. You know, we're not making a copy of a copy. We're just looking at the Word every time. And that we're, we're based on that. And as long as we do that, it doesn't matter if we have our own imperfections. The Word doesn't. And we're based upon that. And so, what I want to do, just as we talk about the Word... I want to read this paragraph from the Westminster Confession, the first chapter, first section on the Word of God. And then I want to talk about some of the attributes of Scripture just briefly. We could spend weeks and weeks on this, but we're just going to spend a few more minutes. Um, So chapter 1, section 1 of the Westminster Confession. Although the light of nature and the works of creation and providence do so far manifest the goodness, wisdom, and power of God as to leave man inexcusable, Basically, creation says that there is a God. Yet, are they not sufficient to give that knowledge of God and His will, which is necessary for salvation? Meaning, in order to have the information necessary for salvation, we need something besides creation. Therefore, it pleased God at sundry times and in divers manners to reveal Himself and to declare that his will unto the church and afterwards for the better preserving and propagating of the truth and for the sure establishment and comfort of the church against the corruption of the flesh and the malice of Satan and 
of the world to commit the same wholly unto writing, which maketh the Holy Scripture to be most necessary. Those former ways of God revealing his will unto his people are now ceased. And so what is this this saying? A lot, but let's just sum it up. Creation says that there is a God. And so the very first attribute of Scripture is the idea that it is revelation. It is God's revealed word. Do we need the Scriptures to tell us that there is a God? No. And read from our opening call to worship this morning. The creation sings the presence of God. Romans 1. The creation speaks of God, therefore man is without excuse. That's what the the divine said in that first chapter. And so it's not necessary for us to know that he exists. However, he chose to reveal himself in the scriptures so that we could know him. So that we could have salvation. So that we could know about him. Who he was what he required ultimately his ultimate revelation for us was when he came the coming of his son in Hebrews chapter 1 which you'll see they borrowed from Hebrews chapter 1 the first three verses I'll read and they said in sundry times and divers manners which is what I believe King James says but the, the SV says, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, the Old Testament. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, New Testament, whom He appointed the heir of all things, through whom also He created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature, And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for the sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. God's revelation to us, ultimately, is his son, Jesus Christ. Paul said that. Who's the foundation built upon? The apostles and the prophets. But the cornerstone is Christ. The word of God is built upon that revelation. The coming of Christ and what it, and what it also the divine said that those former ways of revealing God have now ceased. We're not getting revelation from God in our dreams. We're not getting revelation from Him by some sort of odd prayer language. We're not getting revelation by some random prophet who enters into the church with bare feet and has a thing to tell us. We have it right here. Yeah, any other oracles, nothing. We don't need those things. We have the revealed will of God right here in His Word. Yeah, exactly. Any questions before we move on on that? I feel like we're all on the same page there because I'm I'm very uh, passionate about that idea. You have to hold on to that idea. It will be under attack one day. Oh yeah. It will come under places you never church that I love so much. a huge attack lately. A friend who's a pastor from Methodist Church, when he went to the assembly, 
God who changed his past. And he said the three people before him were just saying, we can't make this about a, a Bible dispute that we'll never resolve. We just need to allow gay marriage and all this stuff to happen because it's going to happen whether we go along with it or not. And so he hears the, first, the next, the three people ahead of him say this, and he said, I just felt like I didn't know what to say. And I got the mic, he's a great singer, got the microphone, and he just said, the B-I-B-L-E, that's, that's the book for me. I stand alone on the Word of God, the B-I-B-L-E, and just put it back. and said, there's probably a few thousand people clapping. He said, well, it's good to know a few people saw it just that simply. Mm -hmm. But as soon as you think that that argument is simple and you don't have to hold on to it fast, it'll be under attack. It is under attack. Absolutely. Yeah, no, we have to guard that closely. That was a question that I was asked over and over again when I was coming into the ministry. What are my beliefs concerning this? And it bothered me that they kept asking me the same questions, but I get it now. It's it's important. You have to know that this is God's revealed will. There's nothing else. We're not looking for more. Um, you know, people will ask me a lot. Well, I don't. I'm trying to look for God's will for my life. I'll just say, just start reading your Bible. It's uh, it's there. Uh, there's you know, it doesn't say what's going to happen to you tomorrow, but it does say who God is and what you should be doing. And really, we don't have to know a whole lot else. Um, that, a, lot, a lot of people who died for, the, for their faith and like Fox's Book of Martyrs I gave him a copy of that the other day because it's such an encouragement for mm -hmm. me but, I mean they died for very simple things a lot but they would say I cannot deny God's word I may be wrong in what I'm understanding but if you're going to kill me I'm not denying that the Bible says you're saved by faith alone right. I'm not saved by works and it's a Bible issue. If you want to kill me, go ahead. And they kill me. Mm-hmm. Good. Lots of people died quite simply. Defending. It wasn't a big, complicated argument. Right. It was, well, will you recant? I can't recant. I just quoted the Bible. Yeah. I'm not, yeah, I'm not going to just lie. You know, that may be good. Well, I remember a couple of years ago where, I don't even remember who it was, but they, they got caught by terrorists and they were killed because they wouldn't renounce their Christianity. And so much of the commentary on TV was, gosh, why wouldn't you just say what they wanted you to say to get away with it? And I had absolutely no belief that I would be strong enough to to, to hold on. I, I might cave in a second. I don't know. But the whole the whole idea that they would hold on and not denounce Christ was foreign to these people. Yeah. It was like it's just come on, it's just Christ. It's, Get yourself out of this jam. Yeah. Kelly, go ahead. I was going to say, it's been this way since the beginning of time. God mm -hmm. gave the word to Adam and Eve, you know, the need for me, tree the garden, except that one, knowledge of good and evil. And they turn around, and the next thing we know is that Satan is there trying to, you know, tempt and trick and trip them up. And he says, did he really say that? Mm -hmm. He twisted the whole thing. Absolutely. And he said, yeah, he said that. And he also said, if we even touch it, we'll die. So, you know, she took the words and twisted them as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Satan from the very beginning has said, you know, he didn't say that. You know, God didn't really say And that, that's the, I mean, that's essentially what we do when we take the word and we add to it 
or we want to add our own thoughts to it like you see people doing and they do so in the name of the church and in the name of worship and in the name of Christ they will stand up and give some sort of revelation that God is telling them when we don't need any of that if it you know uh, John Owen who's a scholar said that if it's wrong it's heresy it's bad we don't need it if it's right it's unnecessary we don't need more right things. We have all the right things we need right here. We don't need more revelation. We need more understanding. And and uh, and that you know brings me to the next idea, the inspiration. We'll, and we'll wrap it up here shortly. But turn with me to Second Peter chapter one. <clears throat> Second Peter chapter one. What does it mean that God's word is inspired as well as revealed? Second Peter chapter 1 verses 20 and well, I'll start at 19. And we have the prophetic word which more fully confirmed to which you will do well to pay attention to as a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this first of all that no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Men, go ahead. Can you read verse 20 again? Yeah. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. And so these words come from God, as from these men who were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Second Timothy 3.16, a, a, a passage that you've all known and love, that God's Word is God-breathed. It is literally inspired by Him. These are words that He has spoken. And so if God has spoken these words or has given them to men through the Holy Spirit... What should we do with the words of God? Well, they have authority over us. They can tell us what to do. Even if you don't believe them, even if you say, I don't believe those words, I don't believe there's a God, that's fine. It, your belief is not part of the discussion. God exists, and he has authority over you. You can choose to listen or not, and that's, that's, to, your, you know, that's to your judgment. That's not a good thing. The, and for us as believers... How do we then look at the word? Well, the word is the only rule for faith and practice. We don't do anything else. This is what we do. If God's word is inspired, it is our authority as well. We don't come up with our own things. We don't decide, you know, this really isn't how we want to do things, so we're going to do this other thing. Everything that we do is derived from God's word. You know, even how we... Do church government. I, I go to Presbytery twice twice a year. Where why do we where do we get the Presbytery from? Well, we believe that the elders in the book of Acts met in that way. They met together as elders to decide things that governed over the individual churches. And so we do government that way. We didn't just decide this is a good way to do it. Now it happens to be a very practical way to do things, but we believe that's what the scriptures tell us. And so we do everything according to God's word. Any questions before we move on? 
So I just want to, uh, I'm going to open a whole can of worms here, but I do want to talk about just real quickly, how do we know it's God's word? Well, these works that the apostles wrote, that they taught from, they taught from the Old Testament, these works have been long recognized by the church as God's word. Early on in the church history, they would take the letters of Paul, the letters of Peter that we have here in front of us. They would circulate them. Paul wrote a letter to the Ephesian church, but the Ephesian church said, you know what, everyone needs this. And they began to circulate those things. And they saw that these were good. They were useful. They were good for building up the church. They were good for changing people's lives. They didn't contradict the Old Testament, which the Jewish people had, but instead they confirmed it. And so eventually, the church recognized God's Word as what it is. And that's important to make sure we understand the church didn't come together and pick and choose and adopt God's Word as if you would like adopt a manuscript or even like the Westminster Assembly coming together to craft a document. They recognized these are God's Word. This is what God's Word is. God's Word's always been there. They just simply recognized it as such and they adopted it. Or not adopted it. They recognized it as such and said these are this is God's Word. And very quickly, that came into use because others were standing up saying, no, these things aren't God's Word. And heresies began to spring up. And what did they use the Word for? To stamp out those heresies. And so, more and more, we have to use God's Word for the very same thing. That's why it's such an important part of our church. Not be, you know, Because we realize that without it, we have nothing. We stand upon our own truth, which just look around. That changes all the time. The truth of God's word never changes, and we stand upon it. Any questions? Yep, yeah, Todd, go ahead. Oh, it's not thought deep and not enough to where I read a little bit of it on cannabis. And, um, that's, that's a little bit of a tough one to leave our money sitting there. Yeah. And, and how those books are selected and, and discussions or prestigious um, discussions on whether books that we believe are in there should be in there or not, uh, especially Old Testament books or even parts and passages. And then, like in number three of the Westminster, the books commonly called apocryphal, not being the divine inspiration and not part of the canon of Scripture, and therefore are of no authority in the Church of God, nor to be any otherwise approved or made use of than other human writings, which is included in the, the Catholic Bible. And you read through those books, and they are interesting and sound like Scripture. Yeah. And uh, for a person like myself or a lay person that yeah, it's hard. And, uh, you know, the Apocrypha in particular, uh, and I think we have to go back to the early church, you know, and, and again, the church isn't its own authority, but over and over, the early church did not recognize those books as inspired, revealed word of God. And I mean, you know, those, I think of like First and Second Maccabees. 
those are interesting books. That history is is interesting and it's it's helpful even, but it's not God's word. And so God's word passed down through the generations has always stood. Those other things won't stand the test of time in that way any any more than any other human writings will. You know, you think of someone like R.C. Sproul who's written incredible things. He, one or two of his books might be known to history, you know, as, as something that's has stood the test of time, but it's not even scripture. It, it, it's based upon that. It's good things. You know, you read some of the, the letters that were some of the men who were discipled by the apostles. I think of like Clement of, of Alexandria, for instance. Great writer, great helpful to the church, has good letters that were circulated, but no one recognized them as scripture. And so we stand upon that as well. And yes, I'm not even really qualified to talk about the vast array of what that, you know, all the questions that, that come out from that. And I think there's a lot of good stuff written on it. It definitely has a different has a different thrust to it that is more, you know, not necessarily unhelpful, but it's just, you know, like you said, it doesn't attest to itself as God's word. Other questions before we wrap up? Good discussion. And again, it's like, this is a subject that we could spend weeks and weeks on, and I, I recognize it to be a very full subject, but just kind of a summary today on our belief concerning God's word. All right, I'll pray for us, and then we'll, I'll also pray for our food. God will bless our food. Let's pray. Fathers, we, again, consider your word and the truth therein. Lord, help us to hold fast to it. It would be very easy to add things to it or take things away from it because sometimes we don't like what we read or we think we have a better way. Ultimately, that's the case. It's something we've been doing since the garden. And so, Lord, we pray that you convict us of that sin and show us your truth and the glory of your truth and the rightness of your truth. Father, we pray also that you bless the food that we're about to eat. We pray that you bless our fellowship together as your church. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.